0: Everyone, this is a Sound Health Options show with Richard, talk to me guy, and Sherry Edwards. As we know, because I keep saying this every week, is off improving and adding more information to the SoundHealthPortal.com. Really, every, I know I say this every week, but it's always just amazing when I watch the most recent demo a webinar demo of her doing a doing a vocal intake and then running it through the software and showing the kind of information that we can see. And then when we change something in our diet or our environment or remove something, how it shows up is a difference in the vocal part. It's really it's always mind-blowing. And I've been working with Sherry for, wow, maybe seven or eight years now. And currently at the Sound Health Portal, if you go there and look at services and then you click on campaigns, you'll see what's available for free trial. So all you have to do is go in and register with your email address and for free, they're not going to spam you. They don't sell it. There's nothing. It's just so you, they can send you the information and then you can pick one of the free campaigns. And I think they have PTSD, perhaps bio diet, uh, golf. I laugh about this every week, but yes, you can actually improve your golf swing by looking at your vocal print and seeing where things are out of balance. Could be a diet, could be a muscle that's not innervating or energizing correctly. It's really – I know golfers that have made a difference, and people who you wouldn't think would pay attention to this. But for golf, they're really – they want to make a better swing, and it really can make a difference. So you go in and you do two – you pick your campaign. You do two 45-second recordings right on your computer. You submit them, then pick the campaign. And within two hours to overnight, you'll get a report back with a boatload of information that you can sit down with a cup of tea and review and or take to your practitioner and talk to them about what is showing up on that report. It's amazing. And one of my favorite things about the portal is, well, A, it's online now, so that makes it so we can do it anywhere. And you can also use the free NanoVoice on the portal. And I'll use the NanoVoice, which is kind of the point of origin of much of this work, that Sherry gave away for years. You can go in and take a recording with the Nano Voice, again, right through your computer. I'll do a 40 second recording with Nano Voice online, and then I'll add a supplement or a food to my diet, wait about 20 30 minutes, and go back and take a secondary recording, and then compare the two. And you can see right in the analysis, the waveform analysis that's run through the software. If something's higher or lower or changed or shifted or compressed or, or some shift and just seeing the visual chart will give me a lot of information about, oh, that made this go up or that go down or shifted something. And it's a really handy way of testing for either food allergies or reactions or something that's going on. But you kind of need the baseline first and then add something and check it again in about 30 minutes to see what if there is a shift. So I really like the uh, soundhealthportal.com. And the other thing I'll say here, this is going to be a great show with Dr. Michelle Perro talking about her book, What's Making Our Children Sick. It's really a great compendium of information and her researches. Wow. This is a show you'll be able to find. After I hit end here, you'll be able to go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on the radio tab. Then scroll down to this week's show, and you can listen to the replay there, or click on the link that will take you back here to the platform with all the show notes and everything that we've talked about. And/or you can go to any of your podcast aggregators like Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iTunes, Pocket Casts, Dogcatcher—one of my favorites—and search for either Sherry Edwards or Talk to Me Guy, all one word. And the most recent show will show up along with over 690. We're cl- we're closing in on 700 shows. We'll show up in those podcast aggregators. And you can subscribe. In, in I use Pocket Cast personally. So in Pocket Cast, it's easy to subscribe and just follow the shows, and they'll show up. And Google Podcasts has come around really well. It's a cross-platform. It works in uh, Android or in Apple world, even though it's Google. And the great thing about both of those is that it's easy to share the show, and this is one of those shows that you're going to want to share, because there's a lot of really good information here. And with that, Michelle Perot, M.D., D.H.O.M., is a veteran pediatrician with nearly four decades of experience in acute and integrative medicine. More than 15 years ago, Dr. Perot transformed her clinical practice to include pesticide and health advocacy. She has both directed and worked as attending physician from New York's Metropolitan Hospital to UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital, Oakland. Dr. Perot has managed her own business, Down to Earth Pediatrics, creating a new field of integrative urgent care medicine. She is currently lecturing and consulting as well as working with Gordon Medical Associates, an integrative health center in Northern California. Dr. Perot has co-authored the highly acclaimed book, What's Making Our Children Sick with Dr. Visan Adams, and is executive director of a nonprofit scientific based website, GMOscience.org. She has authored many publications and, and has a new column, Pediatric Pearls, with the journal of The Townsend Letter. Dr. Perot joins us to discuss what's making our children sick. Welcome, Dr. Perot.
1: Thank you, Richard. I'm so glad to join you this morning.
0: There's, I have like six hours of questions, but I'll try and start. I'm <laughs> going to start here. What was the – I'll call it the tipping point – on your journey to your integrative medicine path because you were a straight Western medicine practitioner. What was the – was there an incidence? Was there – what was the tipping point that brought you into looking or wanting to get into integrative medicine?
1: Always a good question, Richard, because as most of us, as we kind of process through our lives, you know, sometimes we have one kind of catastrophic event or there's an event that creates a chain reaction. And for me, it was an event that created a chain reaction. I should say, in my days in New York, I think uh, land of troglodytes and just kind of backward thinking, New York back in the day was <laughs> decades behind California I was never comfortable with pharmaceutical intervention. I did it because that's what I was trained to do, but boy, I never really liked giving kids that stuff. And so what happened to me was 25 years ago, I had a child. And as most of parents know, that can be <clears throat> life changing as mm-hmm. mine was because my kid had a couple of health issues and um, not treatable by Western medicine because I'm a peed emergency physician by training. So I, I knew, uh, you know, Keith's stuff pretty well. And, you know, serendipity has been my friend. I'd like to say that I'm brilliant and forward-thinking, but I think I've just been incredibly lucky. I met up with an an incredibly brilliant uh, homeopath MD, who's our past just happened across same place, same time. The universe kind of chatting it up with me. And I gave my son some homeopathics on her recommendation for some health issues. And sure enough, literally in five minutes, it had reversed him. And I thought, oh, okay, uh, well that's interesting. Happened again, give him his little these little magic sugar pills again and he's better again. And okay, I'm thinking, what the heck? New Yorker, I'm like so hardcore. And I start studying homeopathy. And I was just blown out. I I mean blown out because remember in the nineteen hundreds America was homeopathic. Medical schools were homeopathic. This stuff is amazing. So I started uh, studying, learning, became a homeopath, and eventually I opened my own practice. There I was doing my little homeopathic urgent care, very happy in my little hometown here in Marin County, and then I met up with some amazing gals who were stopping the spray against the light brown apple moth that was going to occur along the coast of California, and these gals did all the heavy lifting. I drank a lot of organic coffee, ate good food. (laughs) I just used my MD for them. That was fine because I was kind of busy. And through these brilliant moms sitting in someone's kitchen, a mom said to me, Michelle, what do you think of GMOs? And mm. I, Richard, uh, this was 2006 and I knew zero. I knew negative information. So I said, oh, I, uh, I'm not, not much. Why, Lisa? And she said, read Jeffrey Smith's book, Seeds of Deception. I read the book and on page 16 or 17, I mean, light bulbs flashing, you know, big, big Broadway musical going on in my ears. And I thought, oh, my God, this is why I'm seeing all these sick kids. Because coincidentally, I was seeing this kind of this incredible uptick in chronically ill children, mostly with gut disorders, but with neurocognitive disorders that were really concerning to me. Like, what is happening to our kids' brains? What is going on? And I didn't know what was going on, but it all kind of came together, and I've never looked back, and I've been on this journey literally now since
0: 2006.
1: Long answer. Sorry, but that that's the story.
0: No, no. That's thats why I said yeah. I had six hours of questions, because <laughs> I know that these can all be these answers. Um, yes,
1: that's the big answer. So that's how I got here, and I'm happy I'm here, and um, I'm out to make it, make a difference in people's lives. That's, that's my goal.
0: And so that leads into the the next question, which you're partially answering already. I can tell by your passion, what led to writing. I mean, you have a practice, you're a practicing doctor with an integrative medicine, pediatric background in Northern California, in Marin County where you seem like you would just be booked a year out. There's that. <laughs> um, how did you, what led to what's making our children sick?
1: Well, you know, during, you know, my, you know, treating all these sick kids, and I mean, there were a lot. And then you're right, my doors started to get pounded on. And I started developing this huge panel of complex, chronically ill children, which is not what my background was in. I was in acute disorders. I I was ER, I was urgent care. And I started, my practice started changing to complex, chronically ill kids. It, it kind of shifted. And so I realized What the heck am I doing? I could see eight, ten kids in a day, and there are millions of kids uh, sick. And what really was bugging me is the social injustice of it. I thought, okay, these Marin kids, I can take care of them. They are educated. They are affluent. That's fabulous. So what about the kids right across the bridge in Richmond and Oakland and kids who don't have access or means? And that was not sitting well with me. I've not been that doctor. I've been kind of like um, doctor for the underdog is how I would describe myself, kids who don't have. I wanted to give all kids Park Avenue service. Park Avenue is in New York City. Um, And for people who don't know that. Um, So Hmm. none of it sat well with me. I thought, "What, what am I doing? So I said, I have to write a book. And medicine now is practiced in a chair in front of a computer. And so my tushy was in a chair all day long. And then to come home and write at night and put my tushies back in the chair was not working. I thought, oh, my God, how the heck do I do this? So living in Marin County, we abut open space. And my new neighbor and I, Dr. Adams, were out taking a little hike. Hey, how are you? Who are you? What do you do? What do you do? And she is an author, academic. Um, she's a you know badass. And I told her I wanted to write a book. And she, I told her about the book. And she said, I'll help you write that book. And I thought, oh, my God, Jesus just pat me on the shoulder. What the heck? I said, you will? And she goes, yes. So in our wisdom, and here was some wisdom. This wasn't serendipity. We hiked with a microphone. And Mm. we
0: recorded
1: a lot of, you know, my patients, our stuff. We just recorded. She, Oh, my God, she transcribed hours of me yakking on about stuff. She was brilliant. And we recorded a lot of it. And that's how we got started. And so it was once again, just the universe kind of saying, yes, you are setting your intention and we're hearing you. And that's what happened.
0: Wow. And I know some of the areas that you hike. The doctor and I don't know each other, but I know Marin County because I live 45 minutes from there. So I know probably some of the views you were looking at, if, you know, over the San Francisco Bay while you're walking and recording. That's that's an amazing piece. That's just amazing. That is it's so wonderful.
1: And, you know, I had two dogs at the time. Both have died of cancer, which if we can bring that in. And the last one died of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is the cancer linked with Roundup, but we can get into that later. Um, mm. So there so there's a little bit of irony there with the hikes um, because we took our dog, my dogs. So they were two little healer mutts, uh, rescues. And um, so there was a lot of bittersweet about being up there when I lost both the dogs. And, but it was being in nature, being grounded, appreciating the bigger vision of what we're trying to do. Then Sam and I had a big vision of setting the conversation of shifting the way we do business And this book was written for academics, educators, legislators. We weren't really talking to folks who were already in it. We were trying to convince people based on a very solidly researched book, Why Our Kids Were Met. That was our goal. And I I hope we accomplished it because um, it, it it was a big task, I'll tell you that. But that's what we set out to do.
0: I think it did really well. It's a great read. I actually listened to it as an Audible book, which I highly recommend. Uh, speaking of taking walking, I like to walk a lot. And it's a great book to be listening to while walking out in nature because it's a good counterbalance to some of the, like, oh my, God, oh wow, uh, scary Thank stuff. You. <laughs> um, sure. you have some really uh, spooky. And that's a phrase I use from Einstein when he couldn't explain something. It was spooky. Here, these are explainable, but it's still – these are spooky stats about autism in America and kids with food allergies. Would you rattle some of those off? And I mean that in a – would you please talk about some of those a bit, and then that will move us further into the conversation about – because it, it really – when I heard these stats, I'm, I've been talking about this kind of information for a long time. But when you when I heard some of these stats about the autism levels and the kids and all that, would you talk about some of those a bit?
1: Sure. My pleasure. And, you know, in, in full disclosure, this book came out two years ago, and I recently reread it preparing for our conversation, and I thought, wow, still relevant. Because, you know, this stuff is changing all the time, but the book is still relevant, although – since we wrote the book, some of the stats have changed because it's kind of it's like constantly the the needle is going up endlessly. so for example, the the stuff that really just you know makes me literally nutty is are the neurocognitive disorders and particularly mm-hmm. autism. Since we've written the book, the rate of autism in boys has gone up to one in twenty eight boys to one in fifty eight kids, and I read a recent article this summer out of JAMA that said, "Oh, no, no." The reason why that number is going up, once again, this 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 pale excuse of we're better at diagnosing, which we may be, we're probably not, and we're now including more kids of color, Latino and African-American children. Now, that may be true, but that is not why it's going up. And it's, once again, kind of trying to dismiss this problem. When you look at, we were once at one in 5,000, now it's in one, one in 28. I mean, you literally have to have an, you know... I, I don't know what, blinders are, not to see, like, okay, things have changed. Um, obesity is one of my other issues I'm like just outraged about. One in three to one in five kids is now obese. And obesity is not a benign disorder. It's associated with metabolic syndrome, cardiovascular disease, hypertension, and not to mention mental health, stuff like bullying. Kids who are obese have a higher rate of being bullied. Um, not, you know So this is this is real stuff. We look at issues like asthma. Asthma, people say, oh, my kid is healthy, but oh, he has asthma. Everyone's got asthma. Oh, oh, whoa, this is not the new normal. Asthma is not the normal. It's a significant morbidity. Some of us now look at it almost as an autoimmune issue, and one in eight white kids has been diagnosed with asthma. One in six African-American kids. Latino kids are all over the map because – there's Mexican-American, there are Puerto Ricans, there are Guatemalans, there are Spanish. So, um, like, Puerto Rican kids, it's one in five. Asthma all over the map. And another thing which I'm, oh, I'm so concerned about is sleeping. Two out of three children under the age of 10 have dysomnias or sleep issues. And I have been digging deep now into EMFs and 5G, and I don't want to dilute this conversation because Lord knows we have enough to cover But that's where I'm heading because I am so profoundly disturbed about the inundation of 5G on society and uh, the effect on kids' health. And I know it's linked to sleep issues, and we can, you know, um, that could be another talk. And so to to just give you this palette of chronicity, and if we stay on this trajectory now, we have now at 54% of American children are sick. If we don't get off this by 2025, it'll be 80%. Now, appreciate, Richard, that there are things like eczema and allergies, which people think are normal and everybody has them, that are not normal, and we shouldn't have them. Now, they're not life-threatening, but they tell me that there's something wrong with the immune function of that kid, and that starts with the gut. And that's what we focus the book on. How's that? We cover that's a, no, that's part? really
0: good. No, no, that's really good. That's really good. I, I can't help myself. I really want to keep on this trade. We're going to bookmark gut health for a moment because you talked about animals. Oh, yeah. Because I, and, and partially the reason that I, I talk about this is because I find when I'm talking to um, regular folks that oftentimes that I can get them to pay attention to their animals' health and that that in turn can be a gateway for them to understanding how what their animals eating, smelling, and touching is affecting their health. But they won't get that until they have the experience of seeing their old dog suddenly becoming vital and shiny again. Oh, so I'd like to
1: yes, thank you, excellent.
0: So so I'd like to divert to you lost dogs to toxicity possibly from paw exposure or rolling in the grass or i know now i know that now san francisco bay area or at least san francisco county i guess doesn't use any toxic sprays on the lawns and in the parks anymore which is amazing and i suspect that marin might be better about that now but talk a little bit about animals and then we'll go back to gut health
1: yeah, I can't talk about animals. I'm very concerned about animal health because I, you must have been a fly in the wall. I just gave a talk recently in Rhode Island this last week, and I said, how many people here like their dog better their kid? Hands shot up. Um, in America, we we love our dogs, and um, I I do believe we're a country that prefers animal health sometimes to our child health. But another conversation, dogs <laughs> and cats too are not faring well. They, I could give this same talk related to dogs. They have the highest rate of cancers among all mammals. One out of 1.6 dogs, according to the American Veterinary Association, will have cancer by the of 10, with, I mentioned, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. We call it just lymphoma in dogs, with that being the leading one. We know that kibble, dog kibble, if it's not organic, is loaded with glyphosate. Mm. I'm writing a piece on it right now. And this information came to me from Health Research Institute, they're a lab in Fairfield, Iowa. They're great people, great friends of mine, um, who test for glyphosate and it's uh, the main ingredient Roundup and its byproduct, which is AMPA. When we looked, when they—I didn't do this—when they looked at, and I'm writing this paper literally as we speak, Richard, I'm all over this. When they looked at the amounts of glyphosate and dog kibble, like 800 parts per billion, it was mm. sky high. So. The, the, the way, the big way that our dogs are getting pesticides and mostly Roundup is through their kibble. But you're right. They get it through their paws. They lick their paws. People are spraying this stuff. It's on Meridians been playgrounds, schools. We've been fighting this. California has not done a great job protecting our children at school. They have needed us many times um, legislation trying to ban pesticides at children's schools. We just fought it recently and lost. So California is still, um, I'd have to say, heavily influenced by lobbyists and big ag. But, you know, let's leave that political, you know, sidebar for a second. Let's get keep on dogs. So our dogs are not faring well. Cats, the cancer rates are a little bit less. And why that is, I don't think they eat as much kibble. There is less, glyphosate in their, um, you know, canned food. Um, So just in general. So... And dogs are also suffering from the same rates of diseases like skin disorders, autoimmunity, et cetera, just like children. Sixty percent of American kids have eczema now. Thirteen percent of Chinese children. I'm preparing to talk for China as we speak, and I'm looking at Chinese stats as well. So I am thinking that we, if we can convince People, as you so um, eloquently said, look at your dog. Change your dog's diet. In one month, they're better. This can spill over to their own health and their own kids. I'm I'm totally on board.
0: Okay. So we'll pencil in now doing a show when that paper's done because it's a passionate subject for me. Um, I, yeah. Okay. I'll pause there. Let's go back to gut health because it's all the same.
1: It's just whether
0: you. It's just whether your gut health is on forepaws or standing up. It's really, I mean, it's all about gut health. Um, talk to us about, and I want to combine this with, early on in what's making our children sick, Use the term industrial food. Mm-hmm. Now, really? let's combine that with gut health, if you would, please. Yes, of course. So
1: um, unless you're eating all organic, and I don't know anyone who does that. It's really hard. I try, but... You know, far, you eat out, you go to people's homes, it's just impossible. You travel, it's just really hard to eat 100% organic. Um, Restaurants don't serve 100% organic, it's hard to find an organic restaurant or takeout. So, we're not doing that. So, if you are not eating 100% organic, you're eating GMO. Most of America's crops are genetically modified, which means corn. Soy, canola, sugar from sugar beets, alfalfa fed to our livestock, um, you know, squash, zucchini, papaya, 50% of papayas, um, now apples, uh, arctic apple, made potato, etc. And more and more are coming on the market. They're not labeled, so you don't know what you're eating. So if you eat a GMO, you don't eat it in its own. You eat it with a pesticide because the only reason we, we eat genetically modified crops is so that they're herbicide tolerant and they can be sprayed. That's the only reason why GMOs were employed. So we can spray pesticides willy-nilly and the plant and the crop won't die. That's it. There's no saving the world's children. There's no um, drought resistance. Actually, they use more water. They, They haven't increased yield. All that is a bunch of hooey. That is a lie, a big lie. Lots of lies out of industry. Now, let's be clear. So we're eating this stuff. We know now from lots of research that GMOs affect your health. We know that there are concomitant herbicides or pesticides sprayed with them that are utilized with them health issues, and we know together GMOs plus, for example, Roundup, Monsanto now there, cause causes the worst problems. Not only that, when you eat this GMO crop. With its associated pesticides.
0: Whoops, Dr. Perro, I lost you.
1: you. What I'm saying is we are are 75% resistant to Roundup in America. So we now have to put on more pesticides, 2,4-D, dicamba, stack gene traits to make them more toxic, And so we're eating more pesticides, probably six for feeding. So now we have this incredible toxic load that you might be giving to a 5 kilo, 12-pound baby, um, and who cannot detox well. So I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure out this can't potentially be good for that child's health.
0: Well, and one of the other bad things, I'll give you a second to adjust your microphone while I talk about this, that – Also, they're using glyphosate now as a drying agent. It's bad enough that they're GMO crops and that they can spray them heavily with Roundup. But now they're also using glyphosate as a drying agent so that it kills the foliage on a grain like, let's say, wheat. And right before they harvest it so that it causes the foliage to drop off and other crops. So our food is literally being sprayed with glyphosate right before harvest. So it's a, a combined thing, let alone there's a whole other show sometime talking about GMOs and are they actually assimilated, and do our bodies know what to do with them, and what the heck is that anyway? Um, so it's all now I think we'll, I think I'll move to how do we make our guts healthy even even if we're not completely stopping everything? Are there things that we can be doing now that benefit our gut health? And a side question of that is, can you ever go wrong by having a healthy gut and nutrifying your microbiome?
1: Yeah, okay, these are all super good. Um, just to go backtrack to the um, desiccant, the highest uh, amounts of uh, glyphosate-based herbicides are in oats, wheat, and legumes. This is a problem for people who are vegan. And people who are vegan are eating a lot of legumes and lentils, you know, et cetera, garbanzo beans. And they're often not buying them organic, or they're labeled organic, and they're not. They might be from whatever mislabeled or cross-contaminated. So they are getting a very high dose of glyphosate, vegetarians and vegans. So just a word out for there. And those are the three highest crops of desiccant. And because they're spraying right at harvest, the amount of pesticides is very high in those foods. A friend of mine looked at a cookie, an oatmeal cookie in Sacramento, California. And one note, Meal Cookie, that your senator's eating has about 285 parts per billion of glyphosate, which is really high. So just a word about that and to our vegetarian friends out there. Um, now, re- regarding um, gut health and what can we do? Okay. Is there a solution? Is it important to maintain gut health? Yes, yes, and yes. Everything that is starting to boil down is about the microbiome now, and I've been digging deep into this relationship between microbiome, pesticides, and neurologic health in children, for example. So that microbiome is very sensitive to antibiotics. Glyphosate is an antibiotic. Monsanto Mm. patented itself as an antibiotic in 2010. We have, there's a study coming out by Karan Krishnan in Microbiome Labs, which shows for the first time Roundup's effect on children's gut not rats. We have rat studies, we have cow studies, we have pig studies, we don't have human studies. As a matter of fact, we've been eating GMOs now for almost 22 years with no human data, FYI. Mm. Okay, that, that should be shocking right there. So um, uh, 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 Karan Krishnan and his group shows how Roundup um, creates dysbiosis, which is an imbalance of the microbiome, with overgrowth of certain pathogens and diminution of um, healthy bacteria. You know, they live in harmony. They chat, they quorum sense, which means they're having a conversation. We are mostly bacterial, Richard, 10 to one, sometimes lower than some of us. And the key to health is a diverse, happy um, biological um, array of organisms in there, of bacteria and fungi and viruses. There's a mycobac a biome and a, 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 a microvirome. And they live in harmony. You know, I, you know, I'm kind of a 60s gal. They're all happy together, but they keep each other in check. And you need them in balance. We know that from uh, cows and rat studies that glyphosate causes an overgrowth of salmonella and clostridia, for example, in chickens. Now, why is that important? We know that kids on the spectrum with autism... It's called Autism Spectrum Condition now. That's changed since uh, we wrote the book. There's a lot. Many of those children have a high amount of these clostridial species, which are linked to brain dysfunction. And we know that happens in chickens. Does it happen in kids? Well, hopefully we're going to get some information. We know that Roundup, for example, caused um, loss of lactobacilli um, and bifido. I think mostly bifido. I don't have that study right in front of me. That's a monica progress. bacteria for immune function, or for many things. These bacteria not only support your immune function, they make vitamins, like B12 and thiamine and all these different uh, B vitamins which are key for detoxification and, and immune function. Uh, so these little bacteria are an integral part of our being. We each have a unique microbial fingerprint that surrounds us. You could literally fingerprint us by our microbiome. Now, this information is coming out every day. The subject is changing, and maybe next year when we talk, I'll be saying something different. But and so understanding this role of glyphosate-based herbicides on the microbiome is key to gut health. Eliminating it is the first step in creating a healthy microbiome, healthy gut, healthy immune function,
0: Healthy neurocognitive function. Mm, that feels yeah. good when you say it. That'd be a good mantra. I may start using that as a mantra. That's really good. <laughs> oh, can't wait,
1: Richard. Go for it.
0: <laughs> um, I want to toss something in about vegetarians. Um, earlier this year, I did an interview with Zen Honeycut from Moms Across America, who did testing on the Impossible Burger, this faux food. I'm calling it a glyphosate delivery system because she was the person who re- was responsible for writing an article about the Impossible Burger, which is a, synth- uh, a a grain-derived burger that's across every Burger King in America in, I think, now 9,000 locations. And it was it's a big deal, partially because they use some sort of spooky technology to make it bleed like a burger, and I've never met a vegetarian that's looking for a burger that bleeds, but that's a whole separate show. However, she personally, for moms across America, had the burger tested and found that it had glyphosate in it and wrote a paper about that or published it and then was the day after attacked by the manufacturer of the Impossible Burger, who I forget the company is. And it's just, as you say, as currently it's still being put out there. Maybe they're trying to clean it up. Maybe they're not. Who knows? But as you say, vegetarians are really in a tough spot. Because they're looking for protein, they're looking for possibly a grain, and grains are really being beaten senseless by glyphosate, unless you really go out of your way to find heirloom or true organic grains, which are hard to find. You have to really go out of your way to find them. So vegetarians are really – i I'm a grass-fed burger person myself. Well, Gra- this, and I, and go ahead.
1: No, please, please finish your sentence. This is an important point you're bringing up.
0: I just was going to say uh, there's a personal gripe I have about the term grass-fed beef. There's two parts to that statement, grass-fed beef and grass-finished. I recently had this conversation at a local restaurant where I said, oh, and they were touting this amazing waigu beef, which is a – it's not true Japanese beef, but it's a knockoff of that now grown in America. And I said, oh, it's grass-fed. Great. Is it grass-finished? And she looked at me like, what? And I knew the server, so she already knew I was asking with some information. And she went in and asked the chef, and he said, oh, no, no, it's green-finished. And I said, well, then it's not – then what's the point? You, it has to be grass-fed, grass-finished. That means that it's eaten nothing but grass in its entire life. Now, we're all kind of believing, fortunately, you and I are in a similar area where there are people who grow grass-fed beef here, stumble beef, for example, we have. Uh, where it is all grass finished, and they're all just wandering on the hills of Northern California. But the, but that's a gripe of mine. You have to if you're going to go out of your way to eat grass fed, you want to make it sure it's grass fed, grass finished. Okay.
1: Yes, I I appreciate your beef on the beef. Um, so <laughs> let's see a couple things. Um, I want to mention yeah, then Honeycutt, she's a friend and colleague, and. Actually, she um, has quoted in a recent uh, blog of hers um, an article my team wrote from GMO Science, Claire Robinson and Michael Antonio, who's a, a, the head of gene therapy and gene editing in London at uh, King's College. We did an expose, an article about Impossible Burger on our website that people should read because that's, last month I got 31,000 hits. And for a science website, that's like a million hits. And we're, we're no Oprah Winfrey, Okay. So this was um, amazing that there was so much interest. Impossible Foods makes the Impossible Burger. They would not release their data to me when I had requested a few years ago to understand their science because their product has 44 novel proteins in it that we have not seen before. They have created a, a GMO uh, soy hemoglobin that makes that burger bleed. It's genetically modified. The uh, soy they use is called leg hemoglobin is genetically modified. The yeast is genetically modified. They started um, with a wheat, and then they went wheat-free, and now they use soy. It has a whopping, a whopper, 630 calories. Most of it is fat and carbs. So it is not a healthy burger by any means. Vegetarians need not worry. They just need to go back to eating what they ate before, black bean burgers, etc. But vegetarians have a harder way to go because of that legume issue that we brought, brought up earlier, being so high in glyphosate because of desiccine spraying. So the Impossible Burger, unfortunately, is a lot of hype and not a lot of health. And boy, that's a title right there that I should just coin. um, Hype, not health. I like it. And so that may be the next book, Richard, and here it is on your show. Um, So I've been looking into that, and I think this idea of synthetic foods is going to be just pouring out of Silicon Valley. So that's what I think your listeners can be watching out for, um, these vegetarian options. They're very attractive, especially when they taste like meat but it's not real meat. This grass-fed grass finish is key. Otherwise, don't eat beef. If you can't afford that, I would suggest you eat very little bit and stretch it or stick to other meat products like chicken that is organic, free-range chicken and not CAFO chicken, not CAFO beef. Absolutely, because those animals are stressed. They're nutrient deficient. They have high levels of stress hormone, and that's when you're eating. I have to give a shout out to my dear friend Howard Bleiger, who's crop advisor in the Midwest in Iowa, who makes an amazing beef product. Um, Howard, uh, Howard's farm is incredible. And that's where I get a lot of my meat, by the way. Um, he sent me pictures of cows' livers, because we have a huge uh, livestock death rate in America. Cows' livers, that, um, and from Canada as well, from a vet, uh, which shows tremendous ill health from glyphosate, which returned to health when glyphosate was removed from their diet, and there's a big issue in dairy cows where they're wasting. It's not cow wasting disease per se, but they're wasting likely from botulism, and botulism mm. has been shown in cows from Roundup. That was a Monica Kruger study in from Germany. So we are under, and then that stuff goes to dog food. Those sick cows. They're, yes, they are, they are made into dog food. So that is what your dog is eating. Our cows are sick, and they're it's sick from what we're feeding them. They're, it, they are eating these genetically modified grains. Um, alfalfa is glyphosate in the, in the bedding that they sleep on. The, and God, God knows there's glyphosate in their water. Glyphosate gets in your water. That's right. And they're not drinking filtered water. So this is a huge problem. For both meat eaters, for carnivores, and for vegetarians, we are all affected equally.
0: I'll take a deep breath. I won't jump on all that. <laughs> yeah, really. My,
1: my brain, my, there's too much stuff in my brain sometimes, Richard, too much data. I mean, I, I, I live a good life and have a lot of fun. I, I I'm, Maybe people say, God, I don't want to party with that woman. It's kind of depressing. But I think it's important we all have the information about what we're eating. If we this don't is, if we change, we, you know, what are we doing, Richard? It's important that people understand what's happening.
0: Well, and <laughs> this is why so many of my friends really pushed me back into doing radio again because they got tired of hearing about it. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to, At some point, it's like, just, you know, could you talk about anything else? Please. We don't want to know everything that we're eating and why it could be bad for us. Let's just enjoy. All right. All right. Um, This leads to, it's in the category. Talk to us about intestinal permeability, how this all, all this, this pathway of everything that we've talked about, glyphosate and impossible burgers and toxins in our food and cows eating uh, bad things. Talk to us about intestinal permeability and and that whole realm of leading to in- inflammatory conditions, and then we'll talk about inflammatory conditions.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so intestinal permeability, also known as leaky gut, has been around for decades. We've known about that forever, and it's it, it for. But what's so interesting, as a medical student and as a resident, I never learned about it, even though it's been in the literature. It wasn't until I started understanding functional or integrative medicine, which is what I like to call functional medicine, because functional, I just don't like the word, um, I prefer integrative, is is where we really dig in to understanding leaky gut. Out of the complex chronically ill children that I saw in my practice, I'd say 95% of them had evidence of leaky gut. And you can test for it, by the way, using um, zonulin measurements from different labs, um, et cetera. So you can look to see if you if you have leaky gut. I don't think you have to look. If you eat non-organic food, I can guarantee you likely have leaky gut. So what it is, is your your gut membrane is not steel. It's designed to be permeable. So nutrients and other another necessary um, molecules and can get across selectively. So these little soldiers at the gates of your cells of the lining of your gut called the epithelium can open and close depending on what's coming through. Now, If for any reason those little junctions are affected, either by toxins, the microbial layer that's over it, um, they can open or close inappropriately or be dysfunctional. And foods, for example, get across before they're fully digested, like gluten. So gluten should be broken down. But if it's not completely broken down, it crosses across your your now damaged membranes, And your immune system, which is sitting right on the other side, because it knows some stuff is trying to get through that shouldn't be, makes and mounts an immune response to now gluten. So now you have antibodies, little soldiers um, are battling, and your immune system is activated to things that it shouldn't be activated to. So that's one thing that's happening. What is causing that? We know there's a microbiome link. So there, are, there is a microbiome layer on your epithelium layer that helps that layer of your gut lining that helps make mucus, and it's this mucus that protects the lining. When you don't have enough of these microbes, I think acromantia mucinophilia is the name of one of them, um, you want to drive that up. If it's not there helping uh, protect your microbiome layer of mucus-producing organisms the gut can get leaky based on dysbiosis or lack of certain organisms. That's one thing. So you have this direct hit on uh, what, what is affecting the layer. I personally believe that GMOs in themselves can also directly affect the microbi- the, um, the gut lining. Then what's also happening as it becomes leaky, not only are foods getting through, but various toxicants are getting through. And bacterial byproducts such as lipopolysaccharides and other things which are immune-activating, uh, get across, which mounts an immune response, which can be very inflammatory. So inflammation is this activation of our immune system. When it's inappropriate and or uh, long-going, you get chronic inflammation, and which is one of the things that can lead to autoimmunity, which is uh, activation of the immune system against cells. You are literally making antibodies against your own tissue, thyroid, Hashimoto's, joints, rheumatoid arthritis, neurologic, MS, multiple sclerosis, your pancreas, diabetes. These are all autoimmune diseases. So that's where it leads. So it's like a connected dots. We're like playing remember that game, connected dots, when we were kids, when we actually played with a pen and paper and not on our laptops. Well,
0: (laughs) we are playing connected
1: dots, and how this is all linked. So, correcting leaky gut via your diet, via microbiome support, and, and maintaining gut health, you have to think about this. I'm going to give you a little caveat here. Breast milk, which every baby should be drinking, is so small. Mm. There's something called human milk oligosaccharides in there, which is literally food for the baby's microbiome. The baby can't use it, but it's for the microbiome. So, you have to feed your microbiome. And we know what foods they like. This is not rocket science. So gut health is linked to microbiome health, is linked to what you eat. eating.
0: Oh, my God. You mean we are what we eat?
1: Oh, I know. Can you imagine? Hippocrates. <laughs> well, I don't know if Hippocrates actually said that. But we'll we'll, we'll say Hippocrates for the sake of argument.
0: It you sounds really good you. if he said it. <laughs> I know.
1: That would be thy medicine. And and I say let food be like epigenetic medicine is what I say. But, you know, um, you are what you eat and food is your medicine. It's data. Food is data. You know, yeah, it's not just like, you know, a vehicle for salt and fat. It's actually information that runs your physiologic system.
0: And I'm going to sidestep here for a moment. And I, I had a grandmother who lived to be 106. Wow. And she came across the United States. She died in the 70s. And she came across the United States in a wagon, because that's how old she was, and ended up in Salt Lake in Utah. And grew a lot of her own food, was a beast, was just a beast. She wasn't a kind, gentle, coddly grandmother. She was just a beast. And I mean that in a good way, but she was tough, tough as nails. However, she lived to be 106. What are the chances – I mean, I imagine her diet – they didn't even know what organic was. My grandfather and grandmother had no idea what the what organic was because they didn't know there wasn't organic. They didn't even – that's how they grew things. You took your cow's manure, and you put it on your crops, and you grew your own food, and that was yep. life. They just called that life. They didn't call it organic. They didn't call it anything. They just – this is how they ate and lived. They had their own chickens, they had their own cattle, they grew their own food as a lifestyle. That was just how they lived. I and mean, then later on, they lived in nice houses and all of that slightly changed. But they lived, They both lived for a long time. She was the most extraordinary. And I think part of it was due to meanness. <laughs> that's, that's more for the couch <laughs> and <than> therapy. <laughs> but how could we – is there a possibility that we can – no, I have to back that up. How can we live that long today when we're just so, it seems, onslaughted with with what I termed from years ago, having interviewed Doris Rapp, which we talked pre-show, total toxic load? I mean, our total toxic load today is mind-blowing, and when I say total, what we apply, what we eat, what we walk on, what we breathe in. I mean, it's just mind-blowing compared to my grandmother who lived to be 106. So how do we – is there a possibility that we can live that long? Possibly?
1: Okay. How do we do doc, that? Let, let Dr. Doom and Gloom enter the stage here for a minute because you know, your listeners are probably saying, oh, my God, I need to shut this woman off and get another cup of coffee. Um, let, me, huh. let, me, um, let me just go to the dark side for a moment. And our children will not, will not live as long as we do. Um, I'm in my 60s. I'm 52. Um, and that is um, because of their toxic load, as Dara's yes um, said, and many others. Um, we are toxic load is so high. They will not live as long. And the other reason they won't live as long is because of the multiplicity of toxicity, not just food, but it's also EMF, electromagnetic frequencies, and 5G, which is rolling out. And see, what you have to remember, what people don't know, is that our microbiome also communicates by EMF, and it's likely that this 5G um, affects your immune function via communication um, shutdown in your microbiome. So your microbiome is being attacked from every which way. So, yes, your organisms talk by EMFs as well. They have their own electromagnetic frequencies. We are electrophysiologic ourselves. So. I, I would say it's unlikely we're going to live as long as our grandparents mine lived to 97 I'd say that's going to be unlikely. Alzheimer's disease is a to- is an environmental toxicity disease. Autism is an environmental toxicity disease um, and we can go on about that so this idea of anti-aging medicine is short-sighted I mean this I love Dave Asprey and I did a talk with him and the idea that you can <laughs> to me, is interesting, but not, not long-term plausible. Um, taking some growth hormones and stuff, interesting, but we're not getting to the root cause, which is a sick environment. We know how to fix our environment. Unless we all get on board and fix it, it's not going to happen. And this will happen to the Greta Thunbergs um, and the youth movement. Climate change will be good, not for everything, environmental health, the soil, the birds and the bees, um it's, it's, it's all linked. We, we live in a web, as you know, and your listeners already know. So unfortunately, our kids will not live as long, and they will, they will die from environmental diseases that are linked to chronicity and most likely cancers. Cancers are the ultimate immune dysfunction and homotoxicologic me- um, uh, models of thinking. They are the end of the line. Yes, there are people who recover from them. Yes, indeed, that does happen. But you don't want to get to that ultimate state of total immune dysregulation, and that's where most of us are heading. And to save it off takes all of us um, as a community. This is not individual solving it. We have to work together.
0: Well, in a certain, again, I'll use the term spooky, way uh early on you talk about not only in the in your book but also in our conversation, you talk about how skin conditions are reflection of. They're not a oh my god, you have a skin condition, well therefore you have a skin condition and here smear this stuff on it. It's a reflection of, it's an indicator. It's it's a marker like fever is an indicator, at least from my thinking as an herbalist, fever is an indicator that the body's working on killing something in the system. It's not a oh quick relieve that. It's a it's a it's a positive action built into our in how our bodies our miraculous bodies work. And I think cancer is an indicator, not unlike a skin condition. Now I know it's much more radical and it's much more um, impactful in its effect. But it's another cancer is not a natural condition. Correct. I, I have I have no question here. I'm just ranting at this moment because 'cause I'm, I'm, I'm me all.
1: You're spot on, Richard
0: that it's just an indicator of this is not normal. People should not have cancer. It's not something, oh, it's not, you're not, maybe you have a genetic inclination toward a weak issue, but it's not something we should have. It's a result of our total toxic load. We are not
1: efficient as a society. That's correct.
0: Okay. Um, I'd like to move us toward an up note. I we have about six minutes and I'd like to turn this ship around.
1: Yes, yeah, um, let's steer let's from Bali. Go ahead, Richard, do it.
0: <laughs> um, and Greta Thunberg. It is the Utes. They are per Joe Pesci. That's uh, who's gonna save our bacon. It's the Utes that are like, we're tired of this. This is, you know, we need to. This planet is coming to us. You old people are gonna die someday, and it's gonna be ours. And we need to have a planet and want to have a planet that's going to be healthy for us. And so this ship can be turned around, but we have to start. Um, let's move toward this interesting thing called nutrigenomics. Because mm-hmm. I think that's a powerful conversation unto itself. I have so many other questions for you. But yeah. let's talk about nutrigenomics, because that's really a – that's sort of a whole wrap-up of everything that you've talked about.
1: So, absolutely. What we have to understand is that there are things in the environment, whether they're food-based or toxicants or whatever they are, plastics, they um, affect your epigenetics. And your epigenetics are these little molecules that sit on top of your genes. Let's say they're called methyl groups for anybody out there with a chemistry or, or histone groups. And what happens is, for example, food can modify these little, these little molecules that sit on top of your genes, and, and by modifying them, it turns genes on and off, which then tells your, your genetics what to produce or not to produce. So you cannot change your genet- genetics, but you can change your epigenes. Now, we also know that there are different things in the environment, such as glyphosate, that can also affect your epigenes by methylation issues. And if you do have a certain genetic predisposition, I think it's called TET3, T-E-T-3, that can induce breast cancer. So if you have some genetic variation, we call them or genetic SNPs, single nucleotide, single nucleopeptides, they're called SNPs. If you have those and you have the right genetic and you have the right environmental insult, i.e. Roundup, plastics, etc. I'll just say glyphosate because that's what we're talking about today. You can cause this um, a change on the outside of your gene, this change in your methylation, which will upregulate something, one of your genes, which will produce something, which will give, which will give you, can lead to breast cancer. We know that to be true. That's hot off the press, Richard. So, this understanding of nutrigenomics. Now, there are foods. Let's say some herbs, cilantro, uh, parsley. How about celery? There are different foods you can eat that can also. Um, change your little little methyl groups in this um, epigenetic regulation, hence nutrigenomics, and could affect what's being turned on and off. And this is likely happening on why we eat certain things, which it can promote health. So even if you have a genetic predisposition to cancer or heart disease or autoimmunity, which many of us have, you do not have to manifest your genetic potential via your diet and lowering your EMF exposure and lower your overall allostatic load, you can alter your epigenetics and thus gene expression. So we need to take control of our own health and it can be done in the most joyful, fun, loving way. This is not homework. This is um, a celebration of the gifts of nature with friends and family to celebrate our food, to celebrate our environment To take it in the most nourishing way, nourish our souls by getting back in the kitchen, which I think is linked to you. I didn't say just mom in the kitchen. You heard that, right? I said everyone in the kitchen where we (laughs) share the joy of making our food. Now, some of us are not farmers. We pay the farmer. Pay the farmer if you're not growing it yourself. That's fine. And we celebrate food as nurturing. And we celebrate real food, whole food as we regenerate the soil. The key to all of this is regenerative agriculture, organic, regen agriculture, to put back that healthy soil, not using bio sludge, real soil, and this is what will nourish us. Healthy soil, healthy gut, healthy planet. It's that simple, Richard, and it can be done.
0: Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's our close. That's amazing. It's so true. I mean, it really, this part of it all is truly not rocket science.
1: No, right. We,
0: we are what we eat. Yes. Let's work with that. Yes. Let's fix that. Yes. And then sometime we'll do part, when we do part two of the show, we'll talk about EMFs and dirty electricity and all that, because that's a whole nother, I think that's a tipping point potential issue. In that, yep. I think our cells are already moving a certain direction and they get exposed to this dirty electricity and they're like, what? Wait, what's that? That's a weird signal. What's that? So,
1: and, yeah. and I will introduce you to Dr. Deborah Davis. I pale in comparison to what that woman knows. We are going to China together to talk at an environmental conference next week. And so, and if you, and I'll introduce you and you can bring her on because she is freaking amazing and knows everything about EMS. So, that's your gal.
0: Wonderful. Thank you.
1: Of course.
0: Um, okay, we're here. I can't believe it. It's been an hour. It feels like it's been four and a half minutes. Um, <laughs> where would you like people to find out more about your book and uh, say a little bit about this amazing site, GMOscience.org? Oh, of course.
1: So the book, our publisher, amazing folks. They do. All, they are on it. Chelsea Green out of White River Junction, Vermont. I was there two weeks ago in Sterling, Vermont. Beautiful part of the country. They are producing our type of book. Super important. And uh, GMO Myths and Truths, uh, and those folks work with GMO Science. They have their fourth edition coming out, just came out, published by Chelsea Green. Jeffrey Smith's been published by Chelsea Green. And they're just amazing. And and the fermenting guy, published by uh, Chelsea Green. So they can find it there. um, And the local bookstores order it. Um, I'm not saying the A-M-A-Z-O-N word right now because – they are cutting health care for a lot of their workers, so I'm, I'm not promoting them right now. We know who they are. So we can get the book there, get it from your library, and if your library doesn't have it, please ask them to get a copy. Um, they can find me on gmoscience.org. Um, I am a co-founder and now executive director, and we bring super smart stuff about GMOs and pesticides with a lens on health. And we write. I'm working on the dog food one as we speak for our next publication. Um, I am a supervising doc with, I uh, work a little bit at Gordon Medical and the best way to say find me is through uh, GMO science. Um, I don't, I'm not one of these gals out here doing a lot of self-promotion. I don't have my own website. I'm not, you do, you're an amazing podcaster that I'm not putting my foot in that water, but I'm sticking to education and, you know, eater by eater, mom by mom, parent by parent.
0: Great. Great work. And I recommend to everybody, I'll put it in the show notes, the gmoscience.org is a wealth of really stupendous information, science-based information. Really Thank you. great. Thank you so much. That was a great show. Uh, we'll do this again, Would maybe more than once. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, have a great rest of the week. I'll let you know that next weekend there will not be a show because I'll be attending the annual Bioneers Conference. Uh, in California, which is an environmental conference about leading-edge thinkers about doing good things to the environment on all levels. So have a great rest of the week, and I'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye.